Hello, everybody, and welcome to Art Drama Llama, where we look beyond the galleries and dish on the art world's gossip, rivalries, and eccentricities. My name is Sianja. My name is Manchi. And my name is Vartika. And today we're going to look beyond, I can't say her name, Artemis Gentisilechi. Well, that's going to be the next meme. <laughs> it's, um... So you didn't tell next Okay, that was horrible. <laughs> that sounds like my name. There. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, Artemisia Gentileschi. Artemisia. Yes. I literally Gentileschi. said Artemis. Wow, I'm horrible. Okay. It's okay. It's She's like, Italian yes. too. Artemis is. She's a minority. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, wow. The Greeks are going to hate you. And so are the Italians. The ancient Romans. Okay. Yes, uh, our fan base reaches so wide. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yes, we're here to talk about Artemisia Gentileschi, and she uh, was a female Baroque artist, um, and she is really well known for some of her paintings that circulated when the Kavanaugh case was going on in 2018, um, and then also for her life story. So we're just going to kind of delve into that and find out what's, what she's all about. To start, she was born in Rome in 1593. She was mostly brought up by her father after her mom died uh, when she was 12. Um, and her dad was actually a painter. His name was Oraccio Gentileschi. He was a major follower of Caravaggio, who was an acquaintance of Artemisia's father. And as a kid, she trained along her three younger brothers in, her, in their father's workshop. And she was by far the most talented of all the children. And she also did not learn to read or write. Um, so that is her early life. And then at age 17, there was an artist by the name Agostino Tassi who was coming by and working with her dad on artwork. And um, he raped her, basically. So one day she was painting um, in her house. And then he just came in, pushed all of the brushes and paint aside, like, threw her on the table and pressed her handkerchief against her face and neck to keep her from screaming um, and then raped her and then there and then her dad was really upset about this and so took took Agostino to court and um, the trial happened in 1612 and Artemisia was subject to grueling questioning and torture and the torture was so that the court could determine whether or not she was lying. And what they would do is tie a cord around her fingers and tightened as she said her testimony to make sure she's not lying. Um, and this was called Sibeli. How does that prove whether you're lying or not? It's, I guess the idea is like, oh, if you're in so much pain, there's no way you would lie. It's, but it's, yeah, it's a bit of a quack like methodology, kind of like when they used to throw the witches, the Salem quote, quote, witches, into the river to see if they would flow or not to see to like test whether or not they were witches um so yeah it's a i think it's a bit of like a quack methodology but it's what they used to do yeah props to her dad though for the time yeah we could talk we could talk a little bit more about the case but um so tachi uh tassi was found guilty but his punishment was never enforced but he did flee rome and was kind of living as an exile after that um the case itself, you can actually read all the testimonies and the details uh, in the Roman court. Like all of those documentations are still maintained to this day. So oh, there's actually yeah. a lot of, yeah, so there's actually a lot of information revolving around this uh, and can read her testimony and everything. And there's like actually different interpretations of the testimony. So 
we were talking about her dad and how like oh wow can't believe he actually took Agostino to court for real you know like that didn't seem like it happened in the time but um a lot of historian interpretation is because he was upset it was really because he was upset that Agostino had promised to marry Artemigia and then he didn't and so that's like kind of the real reason because he besmirched her reputation um okay and then so, a lot of, yes he'll get half a dad award yeah half a dad award yeah but also um the other interpretation uh, of Artemigia's like reaction and in her testimony is that she seemed like she was much more offended that he besmirched her reputation and didn't marry her than the fact that she was actually being insulted like and like some people frame it kind of in the context of the time where it was like the assault itself was like not a big deal but more like the social standing and how it changes your reputation was something that was much more important to them and so she yeah so So, some people interpret her testimony to seem like she's a lot more upset about like he just didn't marry her and besmirched her uh, than she actually was about the assault on her body okay I guess you were expected to be assaulted at some point then yeah but those are just like historian interpretations um right yeah. And then, of course, a lot. And then so Archimicia became famous kind of modern times um, because she painted really powerful works of women um, taking agency against their predators or like males looking at them and things like, and stories along those lines. Um, right. And a lot so of people see it. Clearly, kind of, clearly this, this, this did affect her then. Yeah, I mean, it obviously did have an effect. Yeah, yeah, it did have an effect for sure. But um, something that now modern art historians want us to pull away from is looking through at all of her work through the lenses of like her rape, um, and not let this be her defining. Like everything she painted was about this one life event, but rather mm-hmm. looking at her from a more holistic point of view. And that's kind of like what I also wanted to take the angle of today as well. Um, like, of course. The rape is a huge thing that happened to her and it is going to color how she decides to paint and what she wants to paint but also there's such a vibrant character behind all of it that i think is worth highlighting um so yeah so that's the first half of her life and the second half of her life is where i found like a lot of it to be very interesting in my opinion she was actually quickly married to uh her new husband pierre antonio's stereotesti and there's evidence to show that the contract was actually drawn up well before the rape trial was concluded. So that some people used to think that the marriage was kind of like a really quick solution after the rape trial wasn't concluded successfully, or when the rape trial didn't end with uh, Agostino and Artemichia marrying, they were like, oh, he's just like, uh, Sterteshi is just like stopgap solution so she could get married and like regain her reputation. But there's evidence to show that actually the marriage contract was uh, in play long before the rape trial was concluded. So a lot of people, a lot of historians think it's because her dad thought, uh, Artemichia's dad thought that Stereotechi was a better fit because he's actually from Florence. And one of uh, Artemichia's dad's longstanding plans was to establish Artemichia and the rest of the family in Florence and in the Medici court. And for people who might not be familiar with history and art history, like the Medici's were so powerful and commissioned a lot of art. And so any artist would want to go there and earn some money. <laughs> right. So this is a quick plug. Please commission your artists. You are <laughs> yes. 
making a very long line of supporting artists. Clearly the Renaissance didn't, so go support your little Twitter artists. <laughs> yeah, be a patron. Oh my gosh. <laughs> quick plug, quick plug. Yeah, be a patron. <laughs> what exactly is our patron? Uh, yeah, you can find us at Art Drama Lava. At patreon.com? At patreon.com. <laughs> okay. Become a llama today. <laughs> and what are our tiers? Oh, that's a great question. We have baby llama, we have teenage llama, and then we have adult llama. And then maybe we'll have a oh. special tier. A, a grandparent llama? <laughs> <laughs> we shall see. Okay, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, yes, so after she married, after Archimichia married Steriteshi, they moved to Florence in the beginning of 1613. And um, that's also when she learned how to read and write. Um, and the marriage contract in Florence actually shows that um, Artemisia, Artemisia had a 1,000 gold scudi dowry, which was well above artesian levels at that time, and that Pier Antonio could only borrow money from the dowry to establish an apothecary or some other business, and required and it and in order for him to borrow the money, it required Artemisia's express and voluntary consent. And this, along with other letters has shown that she was really the one in charge of their family finances and really the one driving the relationship. And the contract also grants her Florentine citizenship, which is really valuable because then she can be part of the Medici court if she was chosen to be. So when um, you say citizenship, that means because Italy was still divided into city-states at that point? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Not to interrupt again, but I just finished this documentary called Capital. And they basically discuss how the wealthy stay wealthy. And you reading this to me, I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, rich people practices have been going on to stay in wealth. Yeah. <laughs> like, all I'm hearing is business, business, business. I know you went through a traumatic experience, daughter, but like, business, business, business. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, but I mean, it's kind of how you get your life back on track, you know? Yeah. You know what? I, I, yourself up. I would... I would want security too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, and in her life, Artemisia had five kids, but four of them d- died very young. And mm. she, yeah, she okay. only raised one daughter named Prudentia. Um, she also had an affair with Francesco Maria Maringi. And this happened kind of in 1618. That was the first letters that we see that addresses him more tenderly. And actually, her husband knew about it, too. And he hoped that uh, Maringi would help Artemisia get f- further her in her career. And so he actually wrote to Maringi, apologizing that Artemisia could not write him to him herself uh, because their house was so full with cardinals and princes and that she was so busy that she forgets to eat. Wait, so, so who wrote the letters for her then? He, did he uh, write the letters? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when Artemisia got so busy, uh, her husband would write to her lover and say, like, hey, sorry she couldn't write. Bay is, like, super busy with all these fancy people. Wow, what a... What so a awkward. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I think they... Um, yeah, I think 
they had a, a unique marriage and they actually separated um, a little bit later on and went their separate ways. So how old is she at this point? Um, this is 1618. So this she would be around um, like mid 20s, late 20s. Twenty-five. Wow. What am yeah. I doing with my life then? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, getting why closer you, to that age. Why yeah. are you not established as a court? Like, a, why don't you have a patron? 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 <laughs> why don't you have a patron? Give you a minute. <laughs> we got patron, it. Because I don't know. I didn't have a wealthy father looking after my art career. Yeah, that's true. In a wealthy yeah. marriage. One day, though. Okay. Uh, back to Artemisia. Um, and okay, so this should be an indicator to us that Artemisia was actually doing very well art-wise um, because uh, her house was being filled with princes and cardinals. Um, and so she she was actually <laughs> a pretty... Yeah, this is actually true. Like, she was actually okay. a very successful artist during her own so time. Her husband wasn't trying to gas her up to her yeah, no. uh, lover. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. My wife. He was being legit. He was being legit. Yeah. Okay, okay. He wasn't helping wingman her. <laughs> All right. You know what? Power to her that you don't even need, like, lies. Yeah. And you just, you just are a badass, you know? Yeah, Artemisia, I see you. I see you, girl. Um, yeah, so she was really she was really well known, and in fact, in the late 1930s, she went to England to paint for Charles I's court. Uh, her dad was actually a court painter there, and people think it's because he was feeling ill that he called on her to help him out with the work he was doing. And he died a couple months after she arrived, so that's kind of mm-hmm. further evidence to support that. Um, but she painted the ceiling in the Queen's Great Hall, even though it hasn't been directly attributed to her. And she stayed in London a while after the job was done. And she also painted one of her most famous self-portraits there, which is called Self-Portrait as the Allegory of Painting, or La Pitura. And we'll talk about this painting a little bit more after we wrap up the other facts about uh, Artemisia. Um, and then she went back to Naples and started um, a successful workshop in the 19- in the 1640s. And, you know, her work has been said to be in the collections of several, like, Italian royal families at the time um, and the Spanish crown so she was like a very well-known painter people were definitely chasing after her and people have made comparisons to she was like as famous as Van Dyke and Rubens during her life we have letters from her patrons um, and it ranges from people like Cassiano del Pozzo who is um, antiques collector uh, the astronomer Galileo, and a Sicilian collector, Antonio Rufo. So really well known during her time uh, when she was alive. <laughs> yeah, so we can talk about some of her art. She was a really important second generation proponent of Caravaggio's dramatic realism and as well as his tenebrism, which is really saying that she was really good at doing dramatic paintings, uh, light the difference between the lighting in the background and the foreground um and so she was really good at doing that and she was probably like one of the most well-known like Caravaggio followers to do it to replicate his style that technique is called chiaroscuro right yes that is correct it's yeah like Manchu was describing it's where it's like super dark but then also there's this like one spot where it's kind of light lit up there's filter (laughs) <laughs> yeah a special mm. filter you know for baroque art <laughs> yes, yes. yeah 
And speaking of her art style, we can talk about some of her artwork. And one of her most famous pieces is of Susanna. And she painted this when she was 17. And it is widely regarded as like the first time a sexual predation is depicted from the view of the predated. And since it was painted at the around the same time as her rape, we can probably see it through that context. Um, yeah, so Susanna in her, the painting, Susanna and the Elders, it shows Susanna being in a lot of pain um, as two men kind of look on to her. As we mentioned, this is kind of like the first time when you see the woman being so uncomfortable in kind of like a sexual assault situation. Yeah, it it really looks like when it, whenever you're walking by on the street and those like random guys are just like they just turn around and like stare at you like oh yeah yeah if you look up um Artemisia Gentileschi Susanna you'll see it's like the first picture that pops up um Mm -hmm. just these two guys like looking kind of down at this woman who's leaning away yeah and she's fully naked as well um yeah so so that's that's one of the first paintings where you really see like the woman actually looking really uncomfortable in the scenario most of the time they either don't register that somebody is peering in or they just have a very serene face. So that painting is really well known uh, for that. I'm imagining this might have been a common occurrence then, right? Being sexually assaulted. Um, I was going to say peep that, but... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyway. Um, Well, so this one is a specific story in the book of Susanna which is like a biblical book for a lot of Catholics, but not Protestants. Um, So this painting gets painted a lot. I don't know if we can make the direct correlation that there was a lot of voyeurism in the past because of these paintings. Um, I think that, yeah, I think that what we can say though is like the men obviously didn't think that this was like a direct invasion of a woman's privacy and instead mm-hmm. would not paint the woman being so uncomfortable so this uh, is like, probably oh sorry <laughs> no, no go ahead i was gonna say so this is probably one of the ones that is very heavily um influenced by her rape yeah 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 and it was drawn like very closely in that time yeah the second one of her more uh, of her famous paintings is called judith beheading holoferns um And this was also a really famous scene that was commonly depicted in Renaissance and Baroque art. And essentially the story of Judith and Holofernes comes from the book of Judith, which is another book uh, from another Christian like book that is considered canon Christian literature by many Catholics, but not by Protestants. And essentially the story goes is that Holofernes is a seer in general who is about to take over Judith's town. And Judith is a widow and she is able to seduce him go into his tent and then she beheads him and his head is carried out in a basket and normally the head is being carried out by like an older maidservant uh, who is helping Judith and Artemisia painted this when she first moved to Florence and it it is one of the more I think stunning pictures of the scene mostly because again of the way she depicts the woman and in her painting she shows Judith beheading Holofernes Literally, like, the sword is halfway through his neck. There's blood splattering onto, onto Judas' dress and also Judas' maid, 
who is there and helping Judith hold down Holofernes. And then you also see Holofernes' face like directly facing the viewer. Uh, it's like upside down and you can see like he's in a lot of pain. He's super distraught. Obviously he's dying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Imagine and then, if she drew him or painted him smiling. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a very different story. Like just sleepy, like this I'm on bottom. <laughs> Death is just for me, you know. He was ready. <laughs> he was ready to be taken away. Yeah, um but melatonin hits. <laughs> <laughs> but if you compare his face to the woman's face, Judith and her maidservant both look super composed, very strong. Their sleeves are rolled up and they're like holding him down, very composed and calmly. And there's like a strength in their arms. Um, and this is very, very distinctive from all the other Judith paintings where the others, other artists usually don't show the killing so directly or they don't really depict the woman as very strong. Like if you look at the woman in both the Susanna and the Elders painting and Judith and Holofern, uh, Judith the heading Holoferns, you see the women kind of a little bit more buff. Like they actually look like they have muscle on them instead of like the really willowy women that you typically see in paintings where they're like naked and they look like they could barely hold up a sword. Uh, these women look like they could actually take you on. All right. They were, they meant business. Yeah, they were, they were all about killing. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> This reminds me when, like, old ladies talk about how, like, in their home countries, they, like, skin chickens and stuff. Mm-hmm. Or when you see, like, an old lady just do crazy crap like that. And you're like, oh, yeah, whoa. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I think that's, like, the, the narrative was, like, oh, men paint women, like, very, like, serenely or, like, very gently. And then in reality, it's, like, women suffer through childbirth they are usually the ones like running after hollering kids they're the ones slaughtering chickens and preparing meals for dinner they're much stronger than what art has traditionally depicted women to be like and it really does take a woman to show what a woman is like yeah okay so both of these paintings kind of seem like they're a little bit from the perspective of her rape right like oh the first one is like showing a woman who's very uncomfortable in a sexual assault condition scenario. The second one is kind of like two women being strong and beheading Holofernes, which is, you could kind of read it as like, oh, she's taking revenge against Augustino, right? She's showing her strength. But also we have to like think about all the other paintings that she has done and see it from the perspective of, or see, see her work through the lens of her personality and not necessarily just one major life event that has happened to her and I think we can circle back to uh, her self-portrait that she did in London again self-portrait as the allegory of painting or La Petra and this is actually uh, an allegory that a lot of painters painted at the same time and usually uh, the allegory is always a female and in Artemisia's case she is also female but has a very striking resemblance to Artemisia and it's actually a very interesting part as well um, Artemisia didn't like to use models because she thought they were prissy and expensive. <laughs> um, so she ended up painting a lot of her own features into all of the paintings. So whenever you look at a Judith or a Cleopatra or a Susanna that she painted, they have a very striking resemblance to her, which is really empowering. You think about it, right? You like you put yourself in 
the narrative of all of these women. I don't think she did it necessarily for that stamp, but like if you think about it from our own, like for, for, for our own lessons and takeaways, it's like, oh, we stand on the shoulders of all these other powerful women that have come before us and their stories. But the other reason why people think she painted herself into all those paintings was because it spent like a Rembrandt where is helping with her marketing and she has her face in every painting. <laughs> so oh, that looks like her, oh, must be a Artemisia, yeah. Artemisia kind of <laughs> Yeah. Well, exactly. it's kind of like, weird comparison, but it's kind of like, this is like advice from like the 2000s. When girls are like, I want this guy to like me, but like, I want him to like, ask me and like, like me and like all this crap. And then they're like, you know what you should do? Just be wherever he's at. That way he always sees you. Mm. So you're like mm. on his mind. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, that marketing. Works. Exactly. Yeah. That's what like ads are for, right? Just be where your cu- customers are. So they always think of you. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It's an effective strategy. <laughs> but um, back to her self-portrait as um, the allegory of painting. Again, this is very strikingly different from all of the other artists' renditions and that she kind of takes it a step further because she's like not representing herself as an allegory, but she actually is the allegory itself. And her pose is so much more dynamic than any of the other paintings about this topic. And it, she, her arm is raised with a paintbrush. She's bending forward like she's about to paint. She has messy hair, an apron tied around. Her sleeves are rolled up. She's looking directly at the canvas in front of her in the painting um, with her brush and palette ready instead of looking out of the frame. So the painting itself is just like a very like dynamic rendition of what it will look like if Artemichio is painting. And when you look at it, you're like, wow, she looks like she's like ready to go. She's ready to go. She's like really into painting, obviously really passionate about her craft. And I think this also shows a lot of her own personality, right? She was just like, a really she just like loved painting she was passionate about art this is what she wanted to do this is what she was she was a painter and she could get down and dirty and do it you know like it was not like a lofty exercise of meditation it was something that she did and you know you it, is, it takes like blood tears and sweat to do it snap snap snaps um the other thing is i think we can also look at um uh, I think we can also look at Artemisia and see, like, she was obviously a very passionate woman, right? She, like, had an affair on the side and whatever. Um, and I think nothing is more, you know, representative of this than her painting called Mary Magdalene and Ecstasy. And it looks like Mary Magdalene is praying. She's, like, her head is back. She has one knee up. Her hands are wrapped around her knee. But it kind of looks like she just had some really good sex, you know? <laughs> or she got yeah. satisfied somehow. Because, um, like, the smile she, on her face. Is she like, ate some really good food. There she we go. She ate some really She's just like, really oh. good food. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like, her, her um, shirt sleeve is, like, slipping down her shoulder. You know, her head is back. She's smiling like she's super satisfied. Wink, wink. Yeah, it seems like she's having some, like, sex flashbacks. Yep. (laughs) Yeah, so I just wanted to point out some of those paintings as well, because not (gasps) all of her... Yes? Sorry, I just had, like, 
I, I don't know if I should call it a dark thought because, you know, sex positivity. But I'm looking at this painting. And at first, it looks like she's holding her knee. Like, I don't, I don't know how to, like, uh, if you're, like, bringing your knee up. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah, sex flashbacks. I'm like, oh, what if that's not a knee? That's a fucking head. You, you know? You are in perturbation. It could be. It could be. I mean, look at the smile. You cannot tell me she's not experiencing some good times right now. She's vibing. I, I wouldn't call that a smile. I would call that, like, a concentration, like, line. <laughs> like, her mouth is, like, I don't know how to describe it. It's just a line, but there's force there. So she's, just, she's concentrating on the moment. She's Yeah. She's getting her big O. Yeah. So, something is happening. Something is happening. All right. Artemisia, a little tongue-in-cheek, I see. <laughs> yeah, so this is what I also wanted to focus on. Like, she did <laughs> suffer from, uh, like, a really major, major... It's a dramatic gasp. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> it was... Yeah, like, it's, okay. it's important to, like, focus on Artemisia's work and not only see it through the context of rape but also see it through her personality right like she is a woman who loved to paint and had really high ambitions she was very passionate about things um and she was a mother as well like all of those things are major facets of her life and personality and those are all major offense that affect how her work is being portrayed right or what she wants to paint so i think it's important to also take that angle and see her more of a more as a well-rounded human being than through the lens of one specific event in her life. So um, we just discussed like how um, she should be looked at more holistically rather than just through that one major life event. Um, so what's her legacy then? Yeah. Like overall. Yeah. How come we as art historian or as art history students have never really learned about her, right? So after she died, she was not as well known as when she was alive. Um, And people think it could be because of her gender, but also the fact that uh, the art movement went towards classicism after she passed away. Um, And so there was not as much focus on like the dramatic realism that Caravaggio was working on. And it was reevaluated in the later 20th century and she has been somewhat considered as one of the most important Baroque painters because she was just absolutely amazing at dramatic realism. Like after Caravaggio, there's really no one else besides Artemisia who's doing it at the same level. Um, but some art historians also caution against overstating her place in the Baroque pantheon because she didn't really develop her own style like she was Caravaggio's fellow follower. But I would say that the way she depicts all the biblical scenes um, or the stories of women is something that is so important because it offers a different perspective than the male canon that is painted over and over again, right? Like Judith and Holofernes has been painted by so many different artists and kind of in the same style. And Artemisia is like the first one to depict it in from a, from a female's perspective and showing these women to be so strong and tough and, and actually doing the act of the beheading, whereas most of the other artists just skirt around it. Um, yeah, and it so, seems like such a big thing because she's a female artist in the mm-hmm. 1600s. Like, yeah. and I mean, she wasn't as well known during that like period of time. Or, like during her life, she was, but then after she wasn't, and now she is again. Yeah. So just like being a female artist from that time, and 
uh, like Manchu was saying, while she didn't have like her own distinct art style, I think the main thing is depicting it from seeing all those scenes from a female's point of view is really big. Like, I don't know if other people are realizing I'm I like while Manchu was talking, I was like, whoa, <laughs> this is big. Like, yeah. And to think we we never. Huh? Yeah, I'm, I'm really impressed. impressed. <laughs> like to think we never really learned her name. We learned about Judith beheading Holofernes, like that painting I remember learning in school but I don't I don't I literally didn't know her name before I just it was that that's the name of the painting um it's in Caravaggio style and then it's like Baroque or Renaissance yeah on you yeah it is I think it's interesting that she didn't let herself be pigeonholed Mm -hmm. like even through death her work speaks for her because uh I feel that like aside from her like assault if you're a woman, if something tragic happens to you, I feel like the public kind of pigeonholes you to that tragic event. Yeah. They don't yeah. really see the rest of your life or your, like, your life before then. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think we should also give major props to the art historians as well who are researching her because they are the ones who like really also push for the narrative that she is much more than just the assault like to be careful not to read all of her work from that one angle for like all the resources that I was looking into about Artemisia I would say all the art historians were advocating for her life or to read her paintings from different angles than just the one of her assault so I think she herself obviously painted very strongly from a lot of different uh, or painted very strongly about a lot of different things but also the art historians today are aware enough about you know how humans easily pigeonhole somebody into a specific theme um and they're really aware of that and really trying to make sure that we see her from all these different angles since we have so much information about her we have letters that she wrote we have obviously court documentation um, about the happenings in her life so all these also lend her a voice snap snap snaps again (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah I am just so absolutely wowed by Artemisia. I think she's an amazing artist. Like, I think in all the time I've looked at art, I I don't think I've really seen women being depicted like this in like some of the older styles where they're just like so strong um, and seem so, you know, composed, but also like, I don't want to say stubborn, but just like very strong in their stance. I keep using the word strong and I want to look, I want to use different synonyms for it. but that's what they are. They're just like strong women in these paintings. And I think it's just so rare that you see them. Yeah. And by strong, like they look strong physically, but then also what mm-hmm. they're doing in the painting itself. Like um, just, I keep talking about Judith behead- beheading Holofernes. Is it Holofernes or Holofernes? <laughs> I, <keep laughs> I, <don't saying>, <laughs> I keep saying Holofernes. Oh, but that painting, um, yeah, they their arms definitely look like, they're again using Manchi's word they they look strong but then also just the act of beheading itself like a Mm -hmm. woman beheading a man yeah so key takeaway Archimedia was a badass bitch and (laughs) no one can take that away from her and uh that should fill you with ecstasy (laughs) (laughs) it's just so Artemisia how was I to say? What's our? What's the? Yeah. <laughs> it's just so Artemisia. Yeah. No, that's so Artemisia. That's 
that's so artemisium get to your catchphrase right <laughs> yeah we don't need to be no strong independent woman we just need to be artemisias that's that's what we should go with whenever we do something strong and independent we can just be like that so artemisio right. <laughs> be more like artemisia gentileschi you're like is being less and less convinced she's just like uh-huh yeah, yeah. The, the quotes aren't working <laughs> no i don't i don't want to ruin her vibe i'm all right <laughs> um but before we close it off i have one quote from artemisia uh, as she was justifying the high price of one of her paintings to the co- collector Rufo in oh my gosh, no What's that? To all the commissioners out there, <laughs> listen to this. <laughs> and this is for the, the fact that, like she, like Tika mentioned, you know, there were not a lot of women artists in the 1600s, and she constantly had to face an uphill battle. There were some, but she had to face an uphill battle, of course, of being compared to her male peers and trying to sell paintings and convince people that she was capable of painting to that level, right? So this is a quote from her to justify the high price for her painting to a collector Rufo in 1648. And she says, with me, your illustrious lordship will not lose and you will find the spirit of Caesar in the soul of a woman. And I really like that. Whoa, that, I was gonna say that's strong. That's so Artemisia. That's powerful. Um, But yeah, the spirit of Caesar in the soul of a woman, because you typically see Caesar depicted as a very strong, again, that word, strong. (laughs) He's very powerful and yes, strong. Um, He was just, I mean, if you look at Roman history, he's -hmm. he's just very prominent. Like, you might not know other um, Roman leaders, but you'll definitely know Caesar. Yeah. Yeah. I like the fact that she's saying that like women are conquerors, you know? Mm-hmm. We are history makers as well. As much as any man is. Yeah. And we, we are, Oh, I was yeah, we, like the driving force. Well, more men mm-hmm. have been bigger heads. Yep. You might exactly. not think about it, but yeah. All right. Well, with that, if you have any stories you would like us to cover, email us at artdramalama at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Art Drama Llama. And lastly, thank you for joining us and hope we can continue looking beyond the galleries with y'all next time. Bye, llamas. Bye. <laughs> Bye, guys.